I am Tom Holland, and this is Fitness Disrupted 2.0. I only bring you the best. I say that all the time because it's true. I have the greatest job in the world, and one of the reasons is I get to read great books by the best of the best, which makes me better, and it makes you better. And today is absolutely no exception. It is the rule when it comes to that. So... I could not be more excited. I'm going to read his bio, and then we're going to speak with uh, none other than Christopher McDougall. All right, so many of you have read Born to Run. I have been so fortunate to have read Born to Run 2. Okay, advanced copy coming out really soon, if available for uh, pre-order, so we'll talk about that. But um, let me just give you a quick bio for those of you who don't know. Christopher McDougall, he is one of America's most popular adventure sports writers with more than 2 million books in print. He began his career as a foreign correspondent for the Associated Press, covering wars in Rwanda, Angola, and Congo. His first book, Born to Run, remains the number one running title of all time. That's saying a lot, people. Spending four years on the New York Times bestseller list and earning selection as one of Amazon's 100 books to read in a lifetime. McDougall's work revolutionized footwear and sports nutrition, sparking the barefoot revolution of minimalist shoes and popularizing chia seeds. Had them for breakfast. Uh, uh, two, uh, and pin, I'm going to mispronounce it. Pinole, I believe. Two superfoods of, I have not had that yet, of Mexico's legendary uh, Raramuri Ultra Runners. His second book, Natural Born Heroes, was an instant bestseller and remains a favorite among special forces around the world for its exploration of the ancient Greek art of the hero used by World War II resistance fighters against overwhelming odds. Finally, McDougall's most recent work, uh, well, not finally, Running with Sherman tells the true life story of his attempt to nurse a severely mistreated donkey back to health, ultimately conducting, uh, concluding in their attempt to run side by side through the Colorado Rockies in the 29-mile World Championship Park uh, Packboro race. Christopher, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Tom, I would join you every day just to hear that bio right back to me, man. I was, I was spellbinding. I feel, I feel great today, man. You set me off on a fine fettle. Listen, it's all you, and I, I'm so excited to speak with you. So much to ask. Like I, I bore my listeners by saying I want seven hours. I want to do like the, you know. Uh, just the long Joe Rogan podcast, but we're going to keep it short and sweet and just hit on the main points um, of which there are so many. Uh, first of all, I had Chia for breakfast. Let's just start with that. Thanks to you. Um, and are you getting a cut of that? Do you have any, you know, the Chia revolution is in large part thanks to you as, as the intro said. I have not cornered the Chia cartel. <laughs> well, you you really should. You know, you and I, it sounds like we're leaving money on the table when it comes to a lot of these type of things in the fitness world. So um, uh, let me start with, I read the book, loved the book, loved both books. I'm going to go back, actually. It inspired me to read Born to Run again. Um, you say at the end of the book, uh, no one likes the title. I do. I really do. Uh, what were other titles that were thrown out there? Because I know with my books, there's some doozies. So so can you share some of the potential titles that were thrown around? Oh, you know, they're, they're all puns on running, you know. Um, I, I don't remember what they were. It was kind of like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even remember. It was all like running better. You were born to run forever kind of thing. But the thing about it was, 
there, there's so much noise in the running marketplace right now right. that it's easy to get lost in confusion. It's also easy to be confused as to what your ideology, what your message is. And so I, I really wanted to come out and smack people right, right between the eyes saying, okay, this is the book. This is by me and Eric. And this is what we believe because I think that he and I are both identified with a particular approach to running, which, which I think is kind of unusual. I, I think that a lot of the running ideology has drifted back to the same old bullshit conventional wisdom. Am I okay using a uh, occasional profanity? Absolutely. Time? Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't, do not unleash the demon because I, I there's no turning me back. But <laughs> yeah, the, same, the usual bullshit ideology about cushion shoes and 80 20. And I thought, man, let's let people know that we got a view that we're sticking to and uh, let's be identified with it. Yeah. And, and you know, when I told people, I got a lot of running friends, obviously, and, and you're polarizing, you know, the first book that came out, um, there are people, who, which is, which is what it should be. I would say, Chris, right. You better be uh, hated than not talked about at all, as they say. So you had people who absolutely loved it, who were like, uh, absolutely not. Right. Um, and obviously the, the truth falls somewhere in between. What I was wondering is, again, I've read both. I can't just leave that. What do you mean the truth, the truth falls in between? What, what, is that what does that mean? It, it came out wrong, didn't it? Uh, you know, that, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we're going to talk about it because I think you clarified so much of Listen, I have one ultra running friend who shall remain nameless, who when I told him I was interviewing you, he's one of those guys. He's just so it's all or nothing. And and you're not all or nothing. And if you read Born to Run 2, you know, I pulled some of, you know, your greatest lines, I would argue. But you're not saying always run barefoot all the time. That's the only way to do it is, is what I'm alluding to. Uh, and that's the way a lot of people interpret these type of books. They don't read. Yeah, it. For, for, for sure, Tom. That's, that's the thing about it. That was the bewildering thing about the reaction to born to run was and, and to this day actually because um even a guy who i'm friendly with who i really like a lot brian metzler who, who writes for outside magazine sure. just reviewed uh born to run too and it was all about you know shoes and minimalism and barefoot I'm like why is this even an argument i mean I, i'm kind of so tired of the conversation because to me there is no polarization there is no argument the question is is there, yes or no, a better or worse way to run? Clearly, the answer must be yes. There, there's no way that running can be the only physical movement in the history of time that is immune from the law of physics. Every single movement has a better or worse way to perform it. You're either more or less efficient. And so you can't say, well, you know, you have to have good swimming form and diving form and karate form and violin form, but running, just do whatever the hell you want. No way. So a <laughs> starting point is there must be a more biomechanically efficient way to run versus a, a less uh, efficient way to run. And number two, the goal was never to run barefoot. Like you got to run barefoot. Matter of fact, if you read Born to Run, nobody runs barefoot. Right. I, above all, actually face that decision. I am training for a 50 mile race. At the same time, I'm trying to learn a better way to run. And my coach, Eric Gordon says, well, look, dude, you got nine months. You can pick one of two goals. You can either train for a 50 mile race or you can uh, run minimally. But if you try to do both, you're heading for the ER. And so I, under his recommendation, ran in Nike Pegasus. I was running in cushioned shoes for born to run. Uh, nobody runs barefoot. The idea being that 
the goal is not to someday abandon shoes. The goal is to not worry about what's on your feet. So if your form is dialed in, you can wear whatever you want. I just made a pair of shoes out of a pair of old Kobe 11 basketball shoes, and I just glued a pair of uh, Innovate soles on the bottom. I just made a pair of garbage shoes, and they work great. Yeah, my first marathon many years ago, my dad uh, was in Boston, got me a number wait, many years ago <laughs> to, to run Boston. Obviously, you have to qualify, but you know they give some slots away. Uh, I ran in, I think they were like, Steve, what were they? The, they were tennis shoes. My dad's like, you can't run in those. I was like, I'm going to run in. I was totally fine. You know, I was thinking back yeah. to that. Um, and, and you know what? I was going to say this to the end, Chris, but I'm going to read it now. Um, just to clarify, you have a great paragraph that I think clarifies it really well. You say, my goal is to make everyone happy and healthy and eager. If someone is running a trail 10K in two months, darn right, I'm putting cushion under them. But long term, we always encourage people to run minimal. I have a fundamental belief that everyone is built to run long distances barefoot, but very few of us put in, this is so important, put in the time and the effort to develop the skills to do that. If you get that concept and pursue that goal, then my whole wall is yours to choose from. And I would argue, obviously, the book is doing that for you, right? Putting, Helping you to put in the time and the effort to do what we're meant to do. You know, it's interesting. Um, credit where credit's due. That quote comes from Nathan Lehman, who runs the ultra running company in Charlotte, North Carolina. Gotcha. And I think he kind of stands alone, Tom, as a singular voice in the running retail community. And there, there might be a few other retailers like him out there, but I, I always visit his store wherever possible. If I, it used to be that if I was in, you know, in North Carolina, I would visit his store. Now it's like if I am within six hours of driving, I will make a detour to visit Nathan because he is a great running philosopher strategist kind of running scientist and he, he sells shoes. So he's got to sort this out. He doesn't have the luxury like me of sitting back and mouthing off. Um, Nathan <laughs> has got to put people in shoes. So, and he cannot injure them because if he injures them, they're not running a and B they're not coming back to him. So Nathan really has to figure this out. He's got no margin for error. And so I, um, when we wrote this book, I had a very, adamant viewpoint that less is the only way to go. If you're running in anything more structured than zero shoes, you're making a mistake. But I thought, you know, I, I better balance this off on Nathan. And Nathan has that viewpoint you're talking about is what's your goal? What's the tool that we get you to that goal? And, and I think he is a much smarter um, guide in that area than I am. And the backstory in the book that you give, and I love this, is you said, you know, he invited you down after Born to Run and you thought, I'm going to get chewed out, right? <laughs> like, this is not going to, this is not going to turn out well. And you said, I, I'm showing up. And he pulled you into his store, I believe, yes, and showed you th this wall of shoes. Like, he had a museum of how they have evolved over the years. Is that correct? Well, if I can uh, divert you, that was yes. actually Kurt Munson, who runs uh, Performance Playmakers up in, um, oh, shoot, what's the name of it? Gotcha. Michigan. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was Kurt Munson. So, Nathan, when you meet Nathan, Nathan is a very kind of chill, bohemian-looking dude. Okay. If you see Kurt Munson, he looks like the guy that the mob sends when you're behind on your on your payments. Kurt <laughs> is a, a tough-looking Northern Michigan kind of guy. So when this guy invites me to his store, I mean, I, I figure I may not be coming back with my thumbs. And right. so, but he was a guy. He was a minimalist convert, uh, and he is a very influential voice in some of the major shoe manufacturers like like New Balance, they always check with Kurt because his uh, reputation as a shoe retailer stretches back to the 70s. 
And he, it was shocking to me that he came around and realized, you know what? I don't think this uh, motion control and stuff, all this corrective stuff we're doing, I don't think it's helping. And you, you know, people have heard this a little bit about it. Most people haven't, you know, those of us who are in the business, obviously, you know, way back in the day, they, they, they started to control pronation and you give, you know, the history of that, which is huge, right? Uh, doctor, I'm going to mispronounce his name. Is it Ben O'Nig, University of Calgary back in what? 1985, right? Yep. Yeah. And so he saw pronation and he said, you know, this might be a bad thing. So they invented shoes to stop our, our feet from doing what was natural, and that didn't turn out well, right? And then he was converted. Yeah, you know, it's it's always that law of unintended consequences, and where you start, you know, they thought, okay, well, you know, the foot seems to roll, you know, that seemed like a bad thing. Well, let's stop it from rolling. So then they add this thing, and then, well, now now you've put the uh, the wedge in the middle, the medial post. Well, now the foot's sliding forward. Well, let's add something else. Oh, we had to raise the heel. Let's add something else. So they kept adding stuff more and more. And the shoes became more and more structured as they tried to thwart the changes that they'd already put in. And so rather than just saying, whoa, let's just back it off and start from zero, they just kept building these shoes that were had more and more stuff in them. And to the point where nobody knew what the hell these things were doing anymore. There's no science behind them. There's no evidence they ever did anything to stop injuries, if not actually creating them. And yeah, to have the godfather of pronation control, Ben O'Neill, step forward years later and go, you know what? Horrible mistake. Uh, let's, let's, it's wrong. You know, you know, another guy who did that too, another godfather is uh, Dr. Tim Noakes. He wrote The Lore of Running, you know, this, this huge biblical-sized book. A that thousand was, plus pages, right? How do you do that? <laughs> thousand plus pages. Correct. He would add to every year. It got longer every year. Yes. He's the only guy in a 14th edition. And so, um, but he was the father of, of carbo loading. He was the guy back in the 80s that goes, carbo loading is the way to go. And then he gets diabetes himself and goes, oh my God, I think I made a terrible mistake here. But yet, these two myths continue to attach themselves to the sport of running. Number one, this whole carbohydrate, you need carbs, you need carbs, is still there. And the second thing is this idea that you've got to go to a specialty running sh store and get fitted for some shoe for your unique gait. And I'm looking at these two myths and thinking, my God, how have they not been exploded yet when it's so clear they're not true? I had one experience uh, a couple of years ago, CEO of a well-known company had an event and he introduced me to a person he uh, called his shoe guru. <laughs> and this person asked me just to walk 10 paces forward, 10 paces back, Chris. Then proceeded to tell me all the muscles that weren't firing and the sneakers that I needed to wear. Didn't ask me any questions. <laughs> like He didn't ask me if I'd run a marathon or not, nothing. Nothing, watched for, for and, and this was like the CEO's guru. Uh, I had a problem with that and it's just so common. And, and, and after the CEO said, you know, what'd you think? And he kept pushing me. I said, I, I'm really, I can't, I can't weigh in on this. I really can't. It was so <laughs> amazing. Um, but there's, that's so prevalent. And just explain to people again who are confused because they hear, you know, that they can't believe that sneakers aren't doing what they're supposed to do, but they're not. It, it is so weird, Tom. It's so weird that somehow the burden of proof is on your feet. You know, feet, right. human feet have been around for, Millions of years, you know, they've gone through the most rigorous test you can ever have. The most rigorous market research you can have is called survival. 
So if humans are still on the planet today, it is because their primary method of movement has been checked out. You know, if we had shitty, inefficient feet, we would not be here. You know, there's nothing, nothing else we could do without our feet. Right. And so the fact that we have evolved for millions of years to have this highly sophisticated apparatus at the end of our legs says something versus a dude in a Nike lab that goes, you know what, let's put some more foam in. That'll fix the problem. <laughs> so how does this guy's three years of design experience measure up to two million years of human evolution? So that's just me, like, you know, being pissed off and annoyed. But the fact of the matter is this is that any engineer will tell you, you start with the basic apparatus and only incrementally add to it to see if it helps. At any point, if you're not seeing improvement, you back off and go to first principles. That never happens with shoes. Every six months you're told, oh, carbon plate, this is the best. Oh, you know, new air compressed foam, this is the best. What people never tell you is actually activate your feet perfect your feet, and then only add to the situation as necessary. So for me, I believe shoes only serve the purpose of protection, not for correction. So if I'm running a hard, gnarly trail, I want a nice lug under my feet. I want a little bit of a toe guard up front so I'm not kicking the crap out of my toes on rocks. And that's about it, man. That's, that's all you need. And that's such a great line. That's such a great way for people to kind of start to grasp it, protection, you know, not correction. And I think where people start to get it, Chris, is when you explain that we're supposed to feel what's happening, right? So, you know, so many of the injuries are caused because people are almost being allowed to run when they shouldn't, right, is a simple way of putting it. And they're not getting that proprioceptive feedback. They're, they're not, their bodies aren't getting the feedback that they need until you're hurt. Then, then it's, you know, then it's too late, obviously. But when we slowly learn um, how to run the way we were meant to run, we're listening to our bodies, not in the way you, know, you talk about it in the book. It's it, easier said than done, but we're going to hear stuff from from our feet when we start to run. You know, it's funny, Tom. Uh, there are two surprises I had when I began this whole journey back in 2004, 2005. I'll say three surprises. Number one, I was counted out, man. I was at, down for the count. I had been injured so often by running that I thought, what's the point of this? You know, and I would go to doctors who would tell me, dude, you're 240 pounds and six foot five, you know, got guys, your size should be moving slowly. And so I was done with running for good. So number one, the surprise was when this guy, Eric Horton tells me, you absolutely can run 50 miles. I can get you ready in less than a year. And beyond that, this won't be a one and done suicide mission. If you dial in your form and learn some basic principles, you can run happily for the rest of your life. That was surprise. Number one, surprise. Number two was realizing that maybe one of the major, I think, construct or destructive factors in running is competition. And we're sort of not aware of it until you think about how often, if you talk about running, how often the conversation turns toward racing. You know, have you run a marathon? What's your fastest 10K time? You open up any running magazine, it's constantly full of racing advice and training for races and sign up for races, qualify for Boston. So you're instantly, once you begin to dabble in running, you're suddenly in a competitive environment. And the third thing that surprised me was, you know, when Vibram Five Fingers, uh, th those toe shoes, uh, sort of took the world by storm in the wake of, um, of, of Born to Run, I really felt like many people, like, oh, this is going to be a really useful tool. And I was actually surprised to see that even the Vibram Five Fingers give you enough protection that you can continue making mistakes, that 
they are just protective enough that if you don't decide that you're actually going to do more than just put them on, um, you're going to keep banging down in your feet. We, we did a, a running festival, Barefoot Running Festival in Governor's Island in New York, and we were videotaping people. And it was shocking to me to see how many people could continue to run in horrible form in the Vibram Five Fingers because they weren't making that decision. They're either going to back off their miles you know, or go to minimalism, and they're trying to do both. So that, that came as a surprise to me, too, that you can run in a minimal shoe and still bang yourself up pretty good. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that about the the Vibrams. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could screw up just about anything. Uh, yeah. And I so, so many things I want to talk about, but I so am aligned with the competition thing. Listen, I think we all start out that way. You know, you, you do your first 5K, 10K, we're competitive people. But one of the greatest, if you can continue on, um, you know, uh, I, I went to the ultra world, not like, you know, my friends, but I started doing them. And Chris, like, then went to, did the rim to rim to rim uh, during COVID. One of the single greatest things I've done for so many reasons, but I think the top reason was because there was no finish line, because there was no clock, because there was no time. I could just run to run, and it was one of the, the greatest things I've ever done for the reason I think you're outlining. I think that's a progression for many people, but when you get there, wow, is it amazing. You know, Tom, I, I wish people would look at running the way they look at any other craft, like swimming or martial art or, or playing an instrument. You know, when you start to play the guitar, people are not challenging you to see how fast you can play the guitar, you know? They're not asking you when you're going to perform a concert. You are satisfied with the mastery of the skill. And it's a rewarding process because every time you learn a new chord, you feel like a freaking superhero, you know? You feel like guitar god. And so you're not, you're not rushing it. And unfortunately with running, so much of it is how much can you cram into as little time as possible. And that to me is unfortunate because I wish it was kind of flipped that if people realize, hey, I'm just going to enjoy this adventure later on, once I have mastery of it, yeah, then I'll jump into a marathon or a half marathon or, you know, a Spartan race. But for now, I'm just going to dig it for what it is. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's yours, right? That's what's so freeing. I think when you've come from that world, especially and when you're in our business and, and people are looking, listen, I used to run with clients many uh, years ago, Chris, and I started when the internet hit as old I am uh, running before, obviously, but, and time started getting posted. I used to run under a fake name, Jurgen Hellregal, just because people would look and go, what, what, what happened to Tom? Like he's running 13 minute miles. And I was like, just, can I just run with friends and clients? So yeah, it's and social media. I would argue has made that even worse, and and it's 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 sad. Uh, and I love what you said. And let me just get to the the book is so good in that I love its simplicity. I, I'm so aligned with you and Eric in that regard. From the exercises, you know, to just what we measure and why we measure it. And as you said, it's it's learning how to do this right. And and they're not flashy exercises, and you're not on a Bosu ball with a weighted vest and a kettlebell and hanging. You know, it's it's basic stuff that I would argue many people are going to go. Eh, this isn't like you know, it's not sexy, but it works. You know, I think with Eric, he has got his best possible client with me right. because of my like lack of attention to detail, my my impatience, my my ADHD, <laughs> and so. Basically, he's got the lowest common denominator. If he gives me an exercise and I actually do it, then he knows it way more responsibly. People will do it too. I, I don't want a bunch of exercises. I don't want to have to strap shit on my arm. I don't want to have to keep a journal. I don't want to have to log crap in. And Eric's whole philosophy is 
you should be able to feel everything. You should know by the feel if it works. And that's in some ways an overused cliche, you know, about listen to your body, but you know, your, your body is speaking ancient Urdu. Your, your body was formed in the stone age. We are a modern brain. So a lot of times the communication between our body and our brains breaks down. And Eric's point is we need to revise and, and relearn how to understand our bodies. And that's why everything, all the advice he gives about pacing, about form, about uh, food, diet, is all based on learning how to interpret by your body's feedback exactly if you're on the right path or not. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I think people doing, you know, you see in the gym, they're doing lunges with 30 pound dumbbells and there's forms horrible. And to your point, like it's oversimplifying, but it's not, it's that neural connection that you're talking about. It's why people I would argue who have done nothing in a long time, whatever they do, they'll go to Pilates or they'll go to yoga or they'll do whatever. And they go, it's the single greatest thing ever because they're finally connecting with their bodies. Right. And it feels good. Um, but we need to have our muscles firing in the right sequence and in the right way. And that takes doing what your book outlines, doing these, Again, basic is not the right word, but it is, you know, basic movements and learning how to do them correctly, a squat, a lunge, you know, a bird dog type thing, whatever it is. Um, and far too often we're going for the complex when we need to to master the basics. And that takes time. You know, Tom, I just had like a, a wave of good feeling wash over me when you gave those two examples. Um, I personally have no attention span for classes. But you suddenly created that image of a first timer showing up in a yoga studio or Pilates class and being shown carefully how to do something and feeling the joy of getting it right. And suddenly I was like, oh, you know what? There is hope in the world because <laughs> right. there are places where people who are starting something know that they have to put their hands under in the hands of someone who's an expert. It doesn't, that doesn't happen with running. You know, when you run, you walk out your door and go, oh, well, you know, hope for the best. But, you know, with a nice class where someone's guiding you, and you feel that cool feedback when you get it right, that's that's a great thing. Yeah, and, and you, you know, distill it down to just the simple, I mean, you call them snacks, right? And and I love that. My, my most recent book is The Micro Workout Plan. It's about, you know, short little things we can do and will do, right? It doesn't matter how, how effective they are. If we don't do them, they don't work, right? It doesn't matter how much science is behind it. Um, and most people can do that, right? These bite-sized snacks of, of movement. And again, that feel good. And you're going to do them over and over, right? And it's the, the repetition um, that is going to lead to those neural connections being uh, better and better. So um, I just love that. And I do want to pick some uh, bone with you though we got to talk about music <laughs> we got to talk about music yeah and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and i agree with everything but but give your you know your chapter on it and i love it and you interview some some great musicians and producers but but talk about music and kind of what the book is uh alluding to with that we you know it's funny so that's something that eric and i were aware of which is that you know there's a certain limit to personal knowledge and we're aware of a couple of times, like, you know what? I don't know. We have a pretty strong opinion, but we don't actually have facts in one or two categories. And one of them was music. So our, our very, very strong opinion is absolutely under no circumstances should anybody be running with any buds in their ears. Eric and I are in agreement on this. And yet I was thinking to myself, you know what? I've never been in a race where I passed a band. And suddenly I wasn't running better. You know, <laughs> if you're like running a marathon, all of a sudden, like the theme from Rocky is playing out of a speaker at mile 20. All of a sudden, man, you're running a mile a minute 
faster, you know? So Come we need on. our own bands is what you're saying next to us. Something like, <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm kind of like, I had this uncomfortable sensation of like, I know what I want to recommend. At the same time, I got to admit, eh, maybe I'm wrong. And that's why we actually put that chapter in the form of a debate. Like, like Flea, you know, the basis for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's I love like, that. Yeah. No way. No music. And then and Lady Southpaw is like, absolutely music. And Rick Rubin's kind of like, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no. But I'll tell you where, where we came down on, on the end is our fundamental question for everything you do with running, which is, is it getting you closer to your goals or is it blocking out the sensation? So with your running shoes, with your diet, with your form, is it actually getting you closer to being a better runner or are you just muscling through and trying to get it over with? So, you know, if, uh, if you're listening to music just so you can block out the sensation of your 45 minutes of running, that's not helping you to your goal. Um, if it is actually something like um, our friend Lady Southball created an entire album of music that's 180 beats per minute. So she can listen to her music and she's actually dialing in her, in her running cadence. So I would say she's a good example of someone who's using music for the right purposes. And I'll give you my experiment of one as well. You know, I used to have everything. I still, Chris, like, you know, when Oakley came out with the thumps and, you know, uh, you know, when I, I ran the Boston Marathon, that first Boston Marathon, I carried a sports Walkman about three miles. And remember how big they were back in the day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there was like a 10-year-old kid on the sidelines and I ran up to him. I said, you want a walk? Brand new. Handed it to him. And I think he probably came out for years after that thinking he was going to get a Walkman every year. But <laughs> And then they got smaller and smaller and I started doing Ironmans when I hate swimming. It's not a sport. It's a means to keep from drowning. But when they got waterproof iPods, I'm in. But to your point and back to like, I think the progression, I still use music occasionally, but it's less and less frequent. And when I was running across the Grand Canyon and started with a friend, I brought music and I was like, oh, I'm going to need this. It's a long time and it's going to get really hard. I never went to it. And it shocked me. And there was a point when I was ready to turn it on and it almost, it almost was going to make me feel uncomfortable. And I thought, wow, this is different. So I think to your point, we're all experiments of one, you know, it's a gateway drug. I would argue most people want to dissociate from running at the start at least. But I think the more we do it, the more we want to be in the moment, the more we want to hear our thoughts. And, and, you know, stay attuned to our breathing and all those other things. But that's that's my experimental one. Well, you know, Eric's, Eric's banner, the, the, the motto he will die on his sword for is athleticism is awareness. And you can, so, so to me, by pumping music into your ears, you're becoming less aware of your breathing, your own thoughts, how your body feels. But that, like I guess say, that's my opinion. And if someone can listen to music and actually feel that their posture is better, their balance is better, their cadence is better, then they are aware of what the music is doing. And I say, go for it. It's the same way with food. Um, you know, rather than getting the, you know, down into the, the, the gutter fights of, you know, what kind of diet you should do. That's why we, we advocate for the two week, uh, the two week test. Strip out the high glycemic foods for two weeks and then reintroduce them to your body just so you're aware so when you eat that bagel, the problem is, you know, we have so many calories sloshing around in our bloodstream at any one time that if you feel like sleepy in the afternoon, you don't know if it's because of your lunch, if it's because you're up late, you know, if it's because you're feeling stressed. But if you get more in tune with the consequences of the food you eat, you can still eat the donut if you want, but you're aware of, of what it's going to do to you. So if you don't mind being sleepy after eating a donut, then go ahead and eat the donut. But if you actually want to be alert and crisp and ready for that workout, you know, maybe, maybe don't eat it. And that's one of, that's actually, I would argue, read a lot of these books, obviously, again, but that two-week test, people is, 
it's just it's healthy and it's smart. And as as Chris is saying, it's going to show you maybe what foods you respond to differently. We're all different. I mean, carbs and fats and proteins do what they do, but that doesn't mean you don't respond differently. And spending two weeks kind of explore and they're just whole foods, right? There's nothing crazy. Um, you're not depriving yourselves of, unless you're you know a complete fruit person at the start, but you you can bring those back in as Chris is saying. But it's it's learning again. It's learning what works for you based on the science that's out there. And Chris, a testament to your book. I don't cook. I don't even prepare food really. I mean, I do, but I don't. I'm really lazy when it comes to it. Um, and I'm a Mediterranean diet type of guy, which is easier when it's whole foods. But I'm going to prepare a bunch of the things you put in there. And you had so many great athletes, um, again, like chia type recipes and stuff like that. I have never read a book and wanted to, to you know, make this stuff. And I, I do, uh, which is surprising to even me. Oh, th thanks, Tom. Um, <laughs> you know, what we realized, what we really zeroed in on is, I kind of feel like, you know, at this point, almost everybody knows what they're supposed to eat, three meals a day. You know what your breakfast is supposed to be. And you choose. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. But the real danger zone is when you're away from the table because most of the time you're grabbing something on your way to something else. And, and that's what we really want to focus on is providing these kind of foods where people have a mindful example at hand so that, you know, you're watching your kid's soccer game or you're late for a meeting or you're heading to the gym. You're not grabbing a Snickers, you know, that you've got something like a chia pudding good to go in the fridge that you can yank out and it's not going to jack your, uh, your blood sugar uh, while you're actually on the move. And you bring up, you know, Scott Jurek. And I always said from day one, you know, there's science and there's the individual differences that we're talking about. And then I, I study the people who have been successful, like Scott Jurek, you bring up and other people and you, and you watch what these people eat. Now, again, is it going to work for everyone? No, but you can go, oh my gosh, this guy or woman is performing at such a ridiculously high level and going against conventional wisdom. So there's something there. So we have to look at the science, right? We have to look at what we like. And then I would say for people who have to win or, or place to put food on the table, um, I'm also going to look at what they do. And it's pretty amazing when you look at what a lot of these ultra runners do. It, it goes against conventional wisdom. You know, I would say, I know, in a way, though, I would say it doesn't. I think the thing about it, Tom, is when we say look at the science, the problem is the science has changed every time you blink. You know, that I feel like every time I open up like Outside Magazine or the New York Times and there's a fitness column and this new study says this and this research says that, and then it always ends with the same thing. You know, so, so far, we know we need more research. We're not quite sure yet. I mean, then why the hell are you print the study? You don't even know yet. <laughs> what, what I look for is what's got long, deep roots. What is a thing that's been around for a long time that keeps showing results? So if you look at like cold plunges, hot saunas, minimal footwear, in Scott's case, a plant-based diet. Well, you know, you can look at a plant-based diet. I personally don't, don't eat a plant-based diet, but I can't argue against it because you look at cultures around the world with high-performing athletes who have lived on a plant-based diet. Scott came of age in an era where there was no science. You know, he's out there smashing Western States records back in the 90s when ultra running was, was a baby sport. And so Scott had to figure stuff out for himself. So if this guy is a top performer for decades, making very mindful choices, then I would pay very careful attention to what he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, hummus and things like that. You're not reading those, you know, ingredients in most of the traditional books that are out there that people are, you know, reading for, um, for sports nutrition. And, and there's just so many different ways, right, to, to fuel yourself. Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned the Mediterranean diet. And, you know, you take that label off of it and just look at the ingredients. And again, it pops up again and again and again. You know, something that is high in um, healthy fats, that is high in uh, 
you know, basically a Mediterranean diet is like a fist sized lump of protein surrounded by a shit ton of vegetables. Like that's it. Right. Uh, eat, eat, eat that and you're good. Man. Eat some walnuts and some olive oil. You're good to go. And, you know, I'm Irish and Italian, so I, I never followed a Mediterranean diet. It's what I would kind of grew up on. And then when I studied, you know, nutrition and started to learn, I just gravitated towards those foods based on what I was reading. And then I re- learned, you know, this is you know, the blue zones and things like that. And you go, OK, but it makes sense. You know, so often, Chris, and I'm, I'm sure you'd agree, we make the complex simple and the simple complex. I mean, that to me is the fitness industry. Uh, and, and, you know, and it's what I love about your book. Again, there's it's it's simplicity that works. Right. It's it's the simple movements, the simple foods, the great plan, by the way, let me not. Uh, forget to say at the back of the book, you give people everything they need um, to be successful to and to retrain their bodies and to do it injury free, you know, and, and which is everything it doesn't matter how fast you are, skinny you are, if you're hurt, you can't do it. You know, sometimes this could actually have been like a one page book because, you know, our, our rock lobster running form fix, I feel like if you master that, the conversation is kind of over. So when I was talking to Eric about this, because one of the most challenging things, I'm sure you know this, one of the more challenging things is translating movement into language. So if you tell someone, touch your toes, well, does that mean bend your knees? You don't bend your knees. You know, bend from the waist, like right hand, left hand, both hands. So any simple instruction can be interpreted in an infinite number of ways. And so I was asking Eric, how are we going to recommend a running form fix in a book without risking people screwing it up? And that's when he came up with this idea of like, you just take your shoes off run in place and put on the song rock lobster. And that's it. Like that's all you need to know because when you run in place, you can't land on your heels. You can't overstride because you won't be in place anymore. You'll be moving forward. And rock lobster is a 180 beats per minute. That's your cadence. That's your foot strike. And the thing about it is because it's fun, it, it relaxes you. You're not overthinking it. And I thought, man, if everybody did five minutes of rock lobster for like two weeks, that's it. Your running form's dialed in. Your problems are solved. You won't be injured. You know, go go conquer the world. And 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 simple and fun, right? And something you can do in the privacy of your own home. Get better at it. Um, give it time, as you're saying, to to just learn how to you know do everything that you're talking. It's it's. I just love that, and I love. I've yet to try it, by the way, and I'm so excited to try it. Uh, my wife may. Uh, well, she already thinks I'm nuts, so it doesn't matter, uh, <laughs> right? Um, and I love, you know, I don't. Is this your quote too? There's a with shoes. There's a right way to use them and a right way to choose them, right? And that that's really important. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah. Again, like like any other piece of equipment, when you when you go out to uh, you know hike a 14 or something, you don't necessarily put on your puffy. You know, you add the protection as necessary. You don't want to burden yourself down, which things are actually going to take you away from your goal. And so that same thing with shoes. Start with the absolute minimum that you need and then add things only as necessary. Yeah, and, and right now I have a handful of shoes, right? I've got I've got the Vibrams from back in the day. I've got the minimalist shoes. I've got the trail running shoes. I've got the road shoes and I rotate them and I'm trying to get better and better. And now I will employ, you know, a bunch of the things I've learned in this book um, to my repertoire as well. Uh, but you got to give it time. And I think that's the other thing is as humans, as Americans, you know, I remember right when your book came out doing an Iron Man and seeing a pretty big guy next to me, Chris. And this was in... This was in um, Louisville. I think it was like 105 degrees. And he was running in some, some you know, old beaten up uh, Vibrams. <laughs> I just thought he didn't look happy. Now it could be at the end of the race. But um, we got to give it time. And, and we just don't do that. We don't do the exercises. We don't, you know, break our, our feet in slowly and, and let, it, let them learn over time. 
you know, you know, my wife did, and I thought it was kind of a genius revelation she had <clears throat> um, when she wanted to uh, dial in her form. What she would do every day is carry her shoes in her hands, and then she would start a run fully barefoot. And the second she felt any discomfort, you know, whether there's like a little blister or a little calf or, or anything, you know, a little abrasion, she just put the shoes on and finished her run that way. And you know what happened naturally over time is. The first run, she went 50 yards barefoot. Next run, 100 yards barefoot. And again, it was not like she was reaching for any goal. She allowed the feedback from her body to tell her what to do. And so if any, it always makes her uncomfortable, put the shoes on, finish your run. And over time, she became really good at running as far as she felt like barefoot. But I guess one thing in favor of shoes, though, Tom, is that you know shoes are, are a sensual joy. So zero shoes just sent me I, – I got enough shoes – I could live five lifetimes and never wear all the shoes I got. I, I don't need any more. But, you know, Zero Shoes just sent me one of their new shoes, the Forza. And it's beautiful. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to wear this. I'm going to give it to someone who needs it. And I'm like, I want to try these damn things on. Next thing I know, I'm running around the Forzas. Here's why. Shoes are essential joy. You know, your feet are sensitive. And they like the sensation of something new. It's like changing up what you're going to have for lunch. You want that variety. You love that new sensual pleasure. So I'm all for indulging your feet in all kinds of shoes that you want just make sure they're doing what you want them to do right and a couple more lines i want to pull out because it's so good um you say we start running to get in shape and never bother to get in shape to start running it goes back to what we're talking about here you know you, you gotta you gotta do the basic stuff right running is it's 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 challenging for a reason and one thing that drove me crazy over the years chris when i was a personal trainer is the number of people who would you know say i can't run you know get a new client and they'd say i can't run and, and then my doctor tells me not to run. I say, why? Well, I have a bad back. I have ba There's always a bad something, fill in the blank. And my philosophy and kind of approach to it over the years was like, shouldn't doctors, shouldn't we be figuring out why, right? You don't have to run, but shouldn't you figure out why you can't, right? And it kind of yeah. goes to this as well, right? And, and doctors should say, well, you don't have to run, but, but let's figure out why. Let's not just say, don't do it. There's a reason. There's, there's something that needs to be addressed. And we don't do that. Uh, no. Remember that good feeling that came over me when you mentioned yoga and Pilates? It just suddenly just drained away when you mentioned that. Because here's the thing about it. What do you mean you can't run? You mean you can't run 10 yards? Right. You can't run five feet? You know, what, what does that mean? Uh, because, I mean, really, are you I, – I was about to say, are you missing a leg? But even that doesn't stop you. You know, our friend Zach Freely's missing a leg. That dude's running ultras. So it, it is disheartening that the quick knee-jerk reaction is don't do it as opposed to, hey, learn how to do it. And if you have a problem, let's solve it. Right, right. And it's it's part of the whole issue, I would argue, today with just the approach to fitness. Um, I want to tell people, too, as we kind of wrap this up, just you've you've curated the best of the best. You know, as I'm reading the book and I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're, we're reading about Phil Maffetone. We're reading about Jack Daniels. We're reading about Laird Hamilton. Like, you've curated just the best information from the best people. And, and that's what I hope the show to be to uh, Chris is like, we don't, we, we don't have a lot of time and I don't want to waste people's time with stuff that, you know, isn't, um, isn't what the best uh, information we can get. Um, and it must've been amazing to have access to all those people and kind of put together the plan from them. It, it is terrific. And think about it too, is like, you never even know what you're going to learn. Like I talked to Lucy Bartholomew, and I learned so much from speaking with her about diet and eating disorders and competing as a female. And yeah, that to me was the cool thing about this is I'm guess I'm like you, Tom, is like, I still feel like I'm a student of the sport. I'm in third grade. You know, I got a long way to go before I get to college, before I get to film off a tone college level. 
But it's really cool to be in the classroom with these guys, these people, and learn all the time. You never stop learning. And it's because the science changes almost daily, right? I mean, I was blown away after reading The War of, of Running and then seeing what Noakes was saying years later, right? Anti-Gatorade. And it was crazy. And you're going, okay, but we do have an open mind. I, I just want results. That's all I want, right? I don't care if I'm right or wrong. I just want results. I want to live the longest life and have the best years, you know, till the end and give me the best information and, and I'm open mind. I'll try anything. I just don't want it to hurt me and I want it to spend too much money, right? That's the whole recovery market, I would argue, and, and some craziness going on now. Um, it takes people away, I would argue, from doing what they should be doing. That's what I have a problem with. But we have yeah, to have yeah. open minds. I, I, I agree. I, I keep thinking about playing a guitar. You know what? Uh, you're not start with a fancy guitar. You know, a guitar is six strings and your fingers. Learn it. And same thing with running. You know, you got your two legs and your brain. Master it. And then you can go do whatever you want. You get as fancy as you want, but you probably won't want to. And what's next for you? Do you have any events? Oh, man. Luis Escobar wants me to do a relay with him. He's got this sick, really sadistic race, the nine trails in the Santa Barbara area. And uh, he wants me to team up with him 17 miles a piece. That doesn't sound like a lot, but this, this is, this is a journey through hell. So it's a march through hell. So that could be it. Me, me and Lewis, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. And yeah, I think, Oh yeah. I want to go out to Atlanta in, in either February or July. Matt Davis does a run around Atlanta. And it's just like a rollicking cool 30 mile adventure running around the city. So those, those are those are my two those are my two bucket listers for this year. I love it. And what do you think of the Nike Vaporfly shoes? Can't can't leave without asking about those. I you know I just get tired because you know there's gonna be so much stuff about oh yeah you can go faster and it has this results and that results. Like, dude, I feel like I've heard this song every goddamn year. <laughs> right. This is the thing. It's gonna be better. Like you know what? It's like the dude who buys a seven thousand dollar carbon fiber bike. But he's not really riding that much. You know, it's like more money than miles. Look, dude, if you know, if you're putting in 100 miles a week and your you know, form is dialed and, and you're banging out, you know, two hour, 20 hour marathons, yeah, go get a paper fly. But I would just submit, learn the art first before you start to buy Defender Stratocaster guitar. <laughs> Spend the money on, you're speaking my language uh, with the Ironmans I do. I, I'm cheap. I, I just won't spend the money. I don't want to. I don't need to, right? And the number of, you know, aero helmets and disc wheels, and as you're saying, like fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 bikes, you know, you go buy and you're like, you know, maybe you should have put more training in and put, you know, maybe put some of that money into a coach and whatever makes you happy. Uh, that's fine. But um, yeah, I got a lot of people asking me about the shoes and I'm like, you know what? You got, you got to do the lunges first, right? You got to do the squats. You got to fix those weak links um, so you can enjoy it. Uh, Cause far too often, Chris, I think, and we'll kind of wrap it up with this. People don't attribute the injuries they get um, to the reasons they get them. And that, whether it's, you know, a exercise program or something. And, and that's too bad because if you don't know the problem, uh, the cause, the ideology, you can't fix it. Yeah. Tom, it's like, it's our, that's our bread and butter. You change the behavior, you change the outcome. If you think throwing a shoe at a problem is going to change anything, it ain't, you know, you change the way your body moves, your body will feel differently and perform better. I love it. Uh, we're going to have, uh, Eric back or Eric on couldn't make it today, which is great. We'll just split it up and, and we'll talk about you and I'll ask him all this stuff from the <laughs> exercise, uh, fizz side. Um, and congrats on the new book. Uh, is it, it's pre-order or coming on a couple days? 
coming out in a, in a heartbeat. Tom, it's out next uh, December sixth, so just a few 6th. days away. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna air this podcast uh, right away. Much success with the book. I love it. Gonna recommend it highly. Gonna do the Rock Lobster, many things like that. Uh, thank you again, and uh, yeah, much success, and I hope to meet in person soon. Thanks so much, Tom. And Tom, where are you? Where are you based? I am in Connecticut. How about you? I'm right now in Hawaii. Um, yeah, I wish we could have been in Connecticut. Dude, let's, 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 keep, let's keep dibs on each other and let's let's find a time. Let's find a time to go out and, and, and get dirty together. I would love to. Which island? Now? Hawaii is my favorite place. Uh, we're in Oahu. This is where my wife grew up. So we actually made a, made pulled the ripcord and moved here two years ago. Oh, my gosh. One of the sex. So Grand Canyon, one of the greatest things I've ever done. Run to the sun many years ago. Top of Haleakala. Nearly killed me. You know, religious experience. Um, wow. You know, another like who cares type of event. Just run to have fun. So we'll do that. Maybe I'll come out and we'll, we'll run to the top of Haleakala. We'll make it a day. Right on. <laughs> right on, Tom. That's a date. Have a great day. Enjoy Hawaii. Thanks again. Thanks, Tom. All right. Speak soon. And that was Christopher McDougal. I say it every show, uh, but for good reason that, you know, I I, want to do longer podcasts, but, you know, we'll just keep bringing them back and doing uh, doing different shows. There's so much there. There's so much there. This book, uh, Born to Run 2. Uh, again, I'm going to have Eric on. Uh, we were going to do them at the same time, which would have been my first kind of three-person uh, show. So that would have been interesting, but uh, I'm excited to speak with him as well. So we'll get kind of the, the trainer side to Christopher's book. The best of the best. Uh, there was so many questions I have here that I didn't get to, but um, what a great, you know, it's, it's Christmas time. It's holiday time, Hanukkah time, whatever uh, holiday you uh, celebrate. It is New Year's resolution time. Read the best of the best. That's the only shows I'm going to do for you. And I'm, I read every book, by the way. <laughs> uh, I have a couple of uh, family members in the TV industry and work with hosts and stuff who don't read the book. I will never have a person on if I don't read the book. And so I often have to you know, schedule them out far enough and reading like crazy. So good. And and there's everything in it, even the pictures. I have an advanced copy, so I'm curious to see. Um, changes a little bit, but he talks about injuries. He's got a plan, and it's the simplicity. It's the simplicity, people. And I don't know that we got that point across. And I think when you're someone like Chris or myself and you get to this point with, you know, it's not the shiny bells and whistles and that's fun. And, and I want you to have fun with your workouts and gear and things like that. But again, I don't want you to waste money and I want you to waste time not doing what you should be doing. Still can do the fun stuff. And this stuff is fun. You know, it, it comes out wrong when I say, you know, the fun stuff. I love results and I love connecting to the body as Chris and I were talking about. And when you read the book and see the exercises, again, you're going to go, wow. They're just body weight type exercises and I'm going to use a wall and I'm going to use, you know, rock lobster. I have yet to do it. As I said, I'm going to do this drill and he talks about 180 steps per minute and all these, it's just stuff I have read about and, and employed in my training for years. And, and he's taken again, guys like, you know, Jack Daniels and Phil Maffetone, guys who've been around for a really long time, know their stuff, have, have, you know, changed it, refined it over the years but as I said to Chris, and I mean it, I, I selfishly, I get to read these books and interview these people and connect with them because it's going to make my life better. And now I want to help make your life better. So again, thank you to 
Christopher McDougall. Um, it's Born to Run 2, available by the time this airs uh, for order. So jump right on there, Amazon. Grab a book for yourself, uh, family members. Um, if you want to run, if you've had issues running, that is a huge theme with the book. And most people have. Most people have. It's like, what, over 80% of people are going to have a running-related issue during running? And many stop forever. Oftentimes because the doctor says you have to. And that really just makes me sad. It makes me depressed. Not, not to say that everyone should run and not to say that people don't have issues that make it more challenging. But one of the many things I love about Chris's book is he gives you those what? Testimonials. The real person stories, real people. And many of them, himself included, start from they couldn't run. And they fixed it. I really believe deeply what I said to him. That doctors should be using almost, this is what I did, I utilized running as a test for clients back in the day when I was training to see what their weak links were. Why can't you run? You don't have to, but you have a weak back. Is it tight muscles, tight hamstrings, tight hip flexors? Oftentimes it's all the above and then it takes time. Just like his two week diet, it's not a diet. It's kind of a figure out your, your body type fueling plan. And it's whole foods and it's healthy foods. But I want everyone to be first and foremost injury free, right? Doesn't matter how skinny you are, doesn't matter how much muscle you have, if you got aches and pains, if that shoulder kills every morning you get up, if you have plantar fasciitis, wow. Any of those, uh, those of you who have had that, especially a bad case, it's debilitating. And the body gets used to it. And then you have a compensatory injury. And that's no fun either, all right? And let me just end with this, because I forget. I don't like dwelling on the past. I couldn't run in high school and before. Started in fifth grade soccer and then football. Spent the majority of my younger years with massive lower leg issues. Ankles, shin splints, taped, did everything possible. Nothing worked. To think I can do today what I do if I look back to who I was back then, forget it. Forget it. And those were team sports. That wasn't going out and just running. It was running for Hell Week in football. It was running for soccer. And so my point is so easy to give up. We were born to run. We were born to move. We are born to feel good. and invest in a book like this. Grab my micro-workout plan. There's some strength for you. <laughs> some basic strength. It's a great compliment. Actually, now that I think about it, there's two great Christmas holiday gifts. New Year's resolution plans. Micro-workout plan and Born to Run 2. And then guess what? You're going to pick and choose what works for you. Not to do everything, but be careful how much you leave out. There's a method to the madness but you're going to figure out what you can do. Okay, enough. 
Tom H. Fit, Instagram, Tom H. Fit is Twitter. Please reach out with questions, comments. I tweeted out right before I uh, did this episode and someone asked about running every day and I responded to the, the tweet actually saying it's in his book. Um, there are people who run every day known as streakers commonly. Uh, and uh, if you can do it, you can do it. I'm someone who needs more rest. I need a rest day but also my goals are different. So again, we're all experiments of one, uh, but reach out with questions and comments, Tom H. Fit, Instagram and Twitter. You can go to fitnessdisrupted.com or teamholland.com. Those are the websites. You can email me right through the websites as well. Again, the best of the best. I get hit up with PR people sending me books and and devices and things like that, and it's not getting on if it's not gonna help. And if it's not vetted, if it's not scientifically based, because not wasting your time and your money, it's not going to happen. All right. Again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I am Tom Holland, exercise physiologist, certified sports nutritionist. Please support this show. So it's a brand new feed so I can keep the advertising to a minimum and only products that I believe in. So. Subscribe, follow, rate, comment, whatever you can do to support the show. Greatly appreciate it. Tell your friends. And remember, there are three things we all control. How much we move, what we put into our mouths, and our state of mind. And that is awesome. I am Tom Holland. This is Fitness Disrupted 2.0. Believe in yourself.